here today. God, that you would be lifted up. God, as we worship together as a community, God, we want to lift up your name, your name that would be a glorified beyond any other name, Lord. God, it's our, our hope, it's our aim, it's our sole purpose this morning, God, to come before you, to come before you and worship you together, Lord. Lord, as we look at this morning how you are so generous, you are a generous God, Lord. We ask that we would, that we would worship you more fully because we see your generosity. We see that you are generous, you're loving, you're powerful, you are holy. God, you are an awesome God. So we worship you this morning. We gather to hear your word, Lord. And as we do that, Lord, we ask for your presence. We ask for your Holy Spirit. We ask for your anointing in this place, Lord God, that we would have ears to hear you, that we would have a heart postured towards you, and that our whole life would be ready to do your will, Lord God. That we would love you more fully and see that we ourselves can generously and fully love you, Lord God. So it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Good morning, church. Good morning, it's good to be with you this morning. Is anyone coming into this place this morning just thankful to be here together to worship? Amen. I am so thankful to be here this morning. And even though when I got up this morning, I was really tired. I was so tired. But in coming into this place, again, the Spirit just reminds us that we're here together for a reason. We're here not just to be together in this room, but to worship together. Amen? Amen. Well, it has been a full week. It's been a full season. It's been a full weekend. Um, this, um, this time, this season right now has been full for us as a church. We've had an incredible um, sermon series as we look at uh, generosity. We've um, started the school year. Amen. Our kids are back in school. And it's been full. It's been wonderful. Well, in family ministry specifically, uh, Tara and I, who is our director of Mosaic Youth and Family Ministry, we've been busy. We've been recruiting and training volunteers, leaders in our ministry. We've been planning. We've been uh, preparing for the school year. And we got to kick off our school year in both Mosaic and Royal Hood for another school year, which is so exciting. And I want to give a special shout out this morning to Tara. Not only is she an amazing youth director, not only is she passionate in what she does, amen, amen, she also this week is running 75 miles in five days, right? That's incredible. Now, I don't, personally, I don't even know how you do that, but honestly, I don't even know why you would do that. <laughs> But she has a, a very good reason. Um, Tara, in her unceasing passion to uplift and encourage and to empower others, she is running all of these miles for a purpose. 
She's running to raise money to, um, to uh, seek deliverance for women who are in sex trafficking. So we wanna pray for her. Today is her final day, I believe, as she runs her final 15 miles. So let's be sure to pray for her and um, maybe like wheel a wheelchair in for her as she comes in next Sunday, because I can imagine her body is shot. Well, yesterday, if that wasn't enough for her to be running all of those miles, yesterday we had the opportunity, Tara and I, to have the absolutely amazing privilege of hosting Fuller Youth Institute. Now, Fuller Youth Institute, um, otherwise known as FYI, is an amazing organization uh, in California. And this organization um, researched and wrote the books um, Sticky Faith and Growing Young. Now, if you don't know about those resources, those are core foundational resources that, uh, for our family ministry here at Sanctuary. So you can imagine how exciting it was for us to host them here at the sanctuary as we got to dive into the topic of multicultural youth and family ministry. Now, it was an amazing privilege to have them here. Uh, we got to, uh, they un unveiled brand new research as they were looking at multicultural family uh, and youth ministries. Now, often when Tara and I go to conferences, we go to conferences in the suburbs in homogenous churches where we have to do a lot of work to contextualize what they say and to even ask the question, does this even relate to us? So it was so exciting. I can't overstate enough that it was so exciting to have them come and to unveil this research that directly applies to our ministries. So it was a huge blessing. Um, now, if that wasn't enough, um, not only do they share their research, but we got to be involved in it. So as they shared the research, um, we had some of our very own contextualize it for what it means to serve in the Twin Cities. Now, specifically, um, we had amazing folks in our ministry uh, share their gifts. And that included Dr. Crystal Moten and Josh Ganados, which are, they're here this morning, so you can give them some love. <laughs> it was absolutely an incredible day. So it's been a full weekend. And on top of that, it's the women's retreat today, this weekend. So many of our women are at Covenant Pines, and we are so glad that they are getting some rest and connection. Well, this morning, we are in a sermon series called Generous God, Generous People. Now, Pastor Edron began this series, and he began by sharing the truth that God is generous, that in God's very nature and character is at the forefront generosity. And in that generosity, we ourselves were also made to be generous. We were formed in God's image, and that means that we reflect that generosity to the world. But first, what is generosity? Well, generosity can simply be uh, defined as giving to others. Giving of our time, our talent, our treasures as a way to love God and to love others. And there's more than one way that we do that. There's more than one way to define generosity. Now we're using the research of the Barna Group and Thrivent Financial to, to look at what their study said about generosity. And in their study, they found five expressions of generosity. And these five include service and volunteering, emotional support, 
monetary support, hospitality, and gifts. And you can see from a snapshot here, this is a snapshot of their research, and it shows um, how people view their own generosity. When they think of generosity, um, what do they think of um, the most? And so you can see um, there that service and volunteering and emotional support are very high um, from their research that they concluded. And you can also see on the screen that there's gonna be a link here and an access code. We have an opportunity to get a, a snapshot of our own, a snapshot of our own congregation and how we view generosity and some of the key ways that we express generosity. So I wanna encourage you, uh, take a picture, now's your time, get out your phone so you can remind yourselves. Take a picture of that and be sure to take that um, survey. Not only does it give us a snapshot, but it also gives you some tools of how, um, how you see generosity in your own life. So I encourage you to take that. Now last Sunday, uh, Pastor Edrin preached on money, our finances. Now no doubt of all the five, that would certainly be one of the hardest to preach on. And if you didn't get a chance to hear his sermon, either in person, uh, be sure to uh, find it online. We want you to hear that, that word that he shared with us. It was a very important word for us. So please listen online. Now, if you're still processing that and wondering how, how your own finances and generosity are linked, I wanna encourage you that we have a class that started this past Wednesday. Some of you are here, which is so exciting. Uh, we have a new class, uh, part of our life group, looking at um, your finances, looking at your personal finances and understanding how they align with both biblical truths and very, very practical tools. So I wanna invite you, um, this Wednesday you can still join, there's two more sessions. Uh, so join us for that if you're interested. Well, today we are looking at one of the expressions um, called emotional support. Now, continuing with the premise that we are already very generous people in so many ways, I'm going to bet that here at Sanctuary, if we get that snapshot, that this is going to be one of the core expressions of our generosity as a church. This will be, I think, one of the ways that we prioritize generosity in our lives. Now here at Sanctuary, I believe we are generous people through our emotional support. And I believe that because I see it in all of your lives in so many clear ways. I see it so clearly in so many of your professions. Now many of you are doctors or nurses. You might be social workers or therapists. You're teachers, so many of you are teachers. You work maybe in nonprofits or the socialist sector system, and, and you are in a, these helping professions. And even more of you are parents, which is absolutely um, the, showing those gifts of emotional support. So all of these highlight those skills and the gifts of emotional support. So this morning, as we look at our, our, our text for today, we're going to be looking at the story of Lazarus. We're gonna be looking at the story of Lazarus' death and his resurrection for the purpose of learning from Jesus and his ministry to his friends there. So I wanna encourage you to open up your Bibles this morning. We're gonna look at John chapter 11, uh, verses 17 through 44, and I'll read it for us this morning as well. John 11 says this, 
When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been dead in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, some two miles away, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them about their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out and met him while Mary stayed at home. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. When she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary and told her privately, the teacher is here and he's calling for you. And when she heard it, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. The Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary get up quickly and go out. They followed her because they thought that she was going to the tomb to weep there. When Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she knelt at his feet and he said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. He said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus began to weep. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, again greatly disturbed, came to the tomb. It was a cave and the stone was lying against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, already there is a stench because he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus looked upward and said, Father, I thank you for having heard me. I knew that you would always hear me, but I have said this for the sake of the crowd standing here so that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said this, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out his hands and his feet bound with strips of cloth, his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Now, before we get too far into talking about emotional support this morning as a form of generosity, I wanna first pause this morning to define what emotional support is. Now, in Thrivent's research, they defined uh, emotional support as the act of being there for another person through compassionate listening and encouragement. Now, this is pretty straightforward, right? And you can see that even a simple saying such as, I'm here for you, can, can mean so much to a person when they're in pain. And you can see how this simple statement can deeply impact a person. And here's a picture. <laughs> so, 
So if you are listening, <laughs> if you are listening on the podcast, um, there is a, a screenshot of a text thread, and the first person says, "I'm here for you," and the other person says, "Thanks, smiley face. I'm growing through a lot right now, so it means a lot." And sorry, I lost my context. Who is this? And the person responds, "This is your Uber driver. I'm here to pick you up." <laughs> It can be so simple as saying, I'm here for you, right? <laughs> but what I hope that we can learn from Jesus' example in the story of Lazarus is that, that there's complexity in the way that we care for people. In fact, I'd even say that the whole purpose of this sermon series of generosity is to see the complexity of our generosity, to see the complexity of our, our capacity to give and to be generous people. I believe that our task is to excavate the complexity of our God-given generosity. Our task, our role is to excavate, to take apart, to, to look and to see deeply the complexity of our God-given generosity. So it's tempting, it's tempting to read the story of Lazarus and simplistically conclude that through Jesus' example, that emotional support simply means that we listen to someone's problems. That's part of it. But it's tempting to, to stop there, to see it as something that's very flat, that, that it's a flat application of this story. But emotional support through Jesus' example is so much more than that. It's more generous than that, actually. And we see that Jesus is very generous in his emotional support. We see that he is generous in his emotional support in three ways. Emotional support from Jesus' example is first, being generous with your assumptions. Second, it is being generous with your capacity to empathize with someone. And finally, which I believe is most foundational, being generous with yourself. So often we can be generous to other people, but how often are we generous to ourselves? Now, one of the main questions that the Gospel of John seeks to answer is, is who Jesus was. Who Jesus and his identity, who was he? In the Gospel account of John, um, Jesus is trying, John is trying to understand um, who Jesus is, what his identity is. So this is why there are those seven I am statements, because they are trying to see, um, um, show you who Jesus is. And in this gospel, um, Jesus th says things about himself like, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the resurrection and the life, etc." Now these statements all point to the fact that Jesus is the son of God. Jesus is the savior of the world. Jesus is divine. These focus on his divinity. So with that lens, we could read the story of Lazarus and we could conclude that the application is simply to, to note that Jesus is divine, that Jesus is God's son, that Jesus has this divine power to raise Lazarus from the dead. And that certainly is a central conclusion of this passage. But we also can't miss the ordinary part of this story. We can't miss the very human identity of Jesus here as he cares for his friends. In our passage this morning, Jesus is incredibly human. 
He is incredibly human and in his humanity, he shows deep and full generosity. He has this generous mindset as he listens and as he cares for his friends. And what I am most struck by is his, is his reaction to his friends. Because in their mourning, his reaction to Mary and Martha is very significant. Now, after he talks with Martha and Mary comes out uh, to see Jesus, Mary has very harsh words for, for Jesus. In verse 32, she says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Now, when I imagine Mary mourning her, her brother's death and in, in, in her pain, I, I hear her words hold a lot of pain. It echoes the words that Martha just said a few verses ago. And in both instances, these women are stating that, that Jesus, you could have done something. He could have still been alive. And their words just ring with that disbelief. They reflect the pain that they're feeling in this moment. Now I know, I know that if I was Jesus, if someone had told me that, I'd be really defensive. I, I, I know that automatically a wall would come up, that, that I want to justify all of my actions about why and where I was. I would approach it from a place of judgment, for sure. And I know that I'd have really unfair assumptions about those people. I, you know what? I'd be straight up mad. Where have I been? You want to talk about where I've been? I've been off teaching. I've been off healing all these people. I've been putting myself in danger for the mission that you say that we're all a part of. I've been tirelessly meeting with people, healing people. You wanna know where I've been? <laughs> what more do you want from me? That would have been my response. But in our story, Jesus doesn't do that, of course. In our story, Jesus embodies our first example of emotional support when he is generous with his assumptions with Mary and Martha. Jesus hears these harsh and maybe even angry words and he responds with care. He responds with comfort. He first tells Martha that her brother will live again. He tells Mary, uh, he shows Mary his deep emotion of this situation. In verse 33, it says that when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came were also weeping with her, that he was greatly disturbed in spirit, that he was deeply moved. Now Jesus, in his role as a rabbi, as an esteemed teacher of his disciples, he could have easily had harsh words back for Mary and Martha. He could have easily passed judgment on them for not believing he could, have, um, he could have easily assumed the worst intent because of their disbelief. He could have chastised them easily. But instead, Jesus is generous. Jesus is generous with his assumptions with Mary and Martha. He recognizes that in their humanity, they are doing the best that they can in their pain. Being generous with our assumptions means that we have a mindset of best intentions of another person. We suspend our judgment. We assume the best. That's really hard. 
A generous mindset with our assumption says they are doing the best they can. Now, one of my earliest memories as a child was when I was four years old. I was four years old and I was tagging, tagging along with my brothers and there was a lake nearby our house and so we were running down uh, and there was a dock nearby so we were running onto the dock. Uh, my brothers were fishing um, and again, I was just tagging along. I just wanted to be with them. And it wasn't too far from our house so uh, my, my mom was inside doing something uh, and my, my dad was working outside. We had a neighbor friend over and they were working or fixing, building something. And, and, and obviously, you can tell that I grew up in a time when parental supervision was a little bit more lax than it is now, right? As we were three kids um, near a lake by ourselves. And in fact, my mom, maybe similar to yours, as soon as you know, we had eaten breakfast, she'd shoo us out the house. We weren't allowed to come inside until it was dinner time or, or lunch, lunch and then dinner. But if, and if we did step foot inside, that we would know automatically our dad would be, come running in the house, yelling a whole list of chores that we could be doing instead. Anyone else relate? Yes. So I'm standing on this dock with my brothers. I don't remember too much about what happened, but somehow I lost footing and I fell into the lake. Now, as a four-year-old, obviously I didn't know how to swim very well, and I was completely completely uh, overwhelmed with fear. I just remember feeling so scared and just wanting so quickly for my brothers to see me and to pull me out of the lake. Now, thankfully they did. Uh, and physically, I was, I was perfectly fine. But emotionally, I was totally shaken up. I was so scared. And, and as soon as my brothers pulled me out of the lake, I ran home as fast as I could. And I was running and all I wanted to do is find my parents. I wanted to find my mom or my dad and just have, find comfort from them. So as I was running, I see my dad outside. I run to him and in crying and in, in so much fear, I, I retell the whole story. I tell him the whole story and, and to my disbelief, he simply tells me, you're fine, toughen up. I was not satisfied with this answer. <laughs> so I decide, all right, I'm going to go find my mom. So I'm running inside, again, crying, just looking for her. I see her. I tell her the whole story again. And unfortunately, her response was similar. Stop crying. You're just fine. Now, I don't want to cast a too harsh of a light on my parents. <laughs> my parents love me deeply and certainly now as an adult and as a parent now I can have a lot of empathy for my parents and their their reaction and I could certainly say that they were doing the best that they could and so I don't want to minimize that um, their generation certainly believed that they were motivated by this desire to have to have an independent daughter a daughter who could stand up for herself a daughter that was tough which is good, right? It wasn't bad, but I was four. I was four years old, and I just wanted someone to listen to my fear. I just wanted someone to know, to help me know that I wasn't alone, that I was safe. 
Now in Mary and Martha's pain, Jesus was generous with his capacity to empathize. At this point in Jesus's account um, of, of, of Jesus's life, uh, of the death and resurrection of Lazarus, this is really a pinnacle event for Jesus's public ministry. After he goes on to do this, he knows that he himself will also be uh, about to be put to death and will rise again. So as Jesus was nearing closer and closer to death, and he knew that, and in knowing that, he could have easily be completely overwhelmed. Completely overwhelmed at at the reality that death was coming soon, that pain and torture was coming soon and overwhelmed and having um, spent all this time with his disciples, no doubt he could have also felt that, I mean, they just don't get it still. I spent all this time and they still don't get it, that I could raise him from the dead. He could have been overwhelmed in that. He could have also easily felt overwhelmed that he was experiencing, again, pain and death very soon. But instead of withholding care, Instead of being overwhelmed, he had the capacity to be empathetic. Even as he was enduring anxiety as his death was uh, coming, he also was tired from teaching and miracles and people. He had the capacity, he was generous with his capacity to empathize. In verse 35, it says simply that he wept, that he cried, that he mourned with his friends there. He felt deeply the loss of Lazarus' death. He was deeply moved. Being generous with our capacity to care means that we have a mindset of empathy with people. Empathy is the capacity to be with someone and to understand deeply what they're feeling. A generous mindset says, I'm with you in what you're feeling. Now, as a mother of two little girls, I wake up most mornings a lot earlier than I wish. <laughs> and I'm usually not waking up to the sweet, you know, sounds of their voice saying, good morning, mommy, I love you. It's usually something like, mommy, I have a poopy in my diaper. <laughs> or it's my other daughter screaming at her sister saying, get out of my room. Every morning though, I still wake up with the potentially naive assumption that that no matter what life throws at me today, that I am going to be the most patient mom. I am going to be so loving and understanding with my daughters. And no matter how much they scream at each other or fight and yell, I am going to remain calm. And it's at this point where I'm usually feeling pretty good about myself. You know, I'm patting myself on the back saying, yeah, I've got this. Today is the day. It's a good day. Anyone else have this pep talk in the morning? A pep talk you give yourself before you've even like brushed your teeth in the morning? (laughs) Maybe it's just us optimists, but... I have this pep talk a lot and I like it. I mean, it's, it's a good motivator for the day, right? It's a fresh start. It's empowering for me. But trouble comes when I go a little too far. When I start to think, ah, you know, today's the day. Today is the day where everything is going to go right. 
Today is the day when I am going to do it all. And it's usually when I start thinking these things, how hard can it be, right? I mean, how hard can it be to be a mother of two? I mean, I see people who have kids way more than I do, and they, they seem perfectly happy in their Facebook posts, and they seem calm, right? How hard can it be? I can do that. How hard can it be to work full time as well? How hard can it be to go to school on top of it, right? How hard can it be? I can do it. And it's here that I usually get a little too confident. And it's here that things can quickly go downhill very rapidly for me. Because throughout the day, inevitably, things will go wrong. And then the internal insults start up. Of course you'd fail. You're not working hard enough. Of course you're not a patient mom. You're not loving enough. Or of course you miss that detail. You're not trying hard enough. Now I'm not, I know that I'm not alone in feeling, in, uh, feeling those feelings and in, in, in hearing those thoughts in my internal dialogue. I know I'm not alone when I feel like I just can't keep everything together. And as a result, I blame myself. And instead of extending care to myself, I blame myself, I criticize myself. We all do this. We criticize, we blame, we have very little capacity for grace for ourselves. How often are we generous with our own self? In the story of Lazarus, we see that Jesus is very generous with himself. Now in the high emotions of Lazarus' death, it could have been easy for Jesus as, as God's son to dis dismiss what he's feeling. It could have been very easy, I could imagine, in, in his divine power and his knowledge to rationalize the situation. To say that, I know everything's gonna work out. I know that very soon, no one's gonna be crying anymore. We're all gonna be rejoicing. So I can just dismiss that. But instead, we see that Jesus allowed himself space. He allowed himself space to feel deeply the emotions of that moment. And in the most human way, Jesus cries and he expresses his emotion with his friends. So our third point with being generous with ourselves means that we have a mindset of care for ourselves. A generous mindset of ourselves says that I am doing the best that I can. So as we look at our sermon series of generosity in this season, I hope that we will grow in our generosity through emotional support. I believe that we need to have a generous mindset to do that. A generous mindset is really the foundation of growing in our care and our support and our love of people. So what should a generous mindset be? Or put another way, what does a generous mindset say? A generous mindset says they're doing the best they can. With this, we look back to our first, um, first um, point of emotional support that, that um, being generous is being generous with our assumptions of other people. When we view people with positive assumptions, then we view them as doing the best that they can. This is a positive mindset, a generous mindset. Second, a generous mindset says that I'm with you in what you're feeling. 
Our second point of emotional support is that we are to be generous with our capacity to empathize. When we see and we view our, our ability to care for people with a mi mindset of generosity, then we have the capacity to be with people in their pain. And third, and really again foundationally for us, is a generosity mindset says, I am doing the best that I can. Our final uh, point is that emotional support is being generous with ourself. When I view my own self as worthy of love and of care, then I view myself as doing the best that I can. Church, we need a generous mindset. Our neighborhood needs a generous mindset. Our world needs a generous mindset. But a generous mindset isn't always easy. A generous mindset isn't void of, 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 of boundaries though either. Some of the most empathetic people are people who have boundaries to say what's okay and what's not okay. And empathy um, with boundaries is tenfold. It, it reproduces itself. It gives out um, tenfold of what you give out. It's infinite. It's generous. It assumes a generous mindset. But there are barriers. There are barriers to having this generous mindset. Barriers to a generous mindset includes things like our judgment. We can easily see someone struggling and we can easily see that their struggles are a lack of faith or maybe it's a result of their poor choices and we can judge them in what they're going through instead of giving empathy and grace. We can, in our righteousness, um, um, kind of um, overwhelm them with our, our own mor moral choices and our, and our um, views so much that we don't see what their human pain is. Another barrier to a generous mindset can be our own belief that we don't need connection, that we can do it all on our own, that we've got it. We don't need anyone else. Or in our discomfort of people's pain, a barrier can be that we simply don't empathize at all, that instead we sympathize. And sympathy with people says, ooh, well, that's too bad for you. Like, we don't want to go there, right? Because we're so uncomfortable with it. So I wonder, what are the barriers for you? As you think about this generous mindset, what are the barriers for you? My hope is that whatever those barriers are, that we do hard work to break them down. My hope is that in a place of authentic community that those barriers would be stripped away. And here at the sanctuary, one of the most um, accessible ways of doing that is in life groups. Here at the sanctuary, um, our life groups are our small group ministry, but they are so much more than that. They are those spaces of authentic community where you can break down those barriers to have this generous mindset. Now the purpose of our life groups is to connect, grow, and serve in your faith. And these are really, again, these incubators for developing what we are talking about today of emotional support. They are the places that we fully live into emotional support in a very practical, a very real way. 
And Pastor Edren has intentionally built up life groups over the last few years. He has worked very hard to build these up, to be these incubators of emotional support and growth in our faith. And it's been so exciting in this um, transitional season to, to have a small part in, in um, working with life groups right now. And, and in particular, it's been an amazing opportunity to work with our life group leaders. Our life group leaders, as you can see here on the screen, are amazing. Amen? Yes, amen. We have absolutely incredible life group leaders. They are people who, who are authentically seeking that community. They're not perfect people, but they're certainly um, striving to um, have these fertile and healthy places of connection. So this morning, we have the opportunity to support them as we talk about emotional support, we want to support them as life groups begin in October. So I want to actually invite all of our life group leaders up. We're going to stand up here in the front. And we get to pray for them this morning. Amen? Yeah. So life group leaders, if you're leading a group, come on up. And let's show them some encouragement. They are a fine-looking group here. Thank you so much for coming up. <laughs> 